HealthWorks, providing trusted, culturally appropriate information and resources. We aim to strengthen vaccine confidence and prevent outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases where we live, worship, work, and play. Increasing access to vaccine and booster shots for diverse, medically underserved populations. Engaging communities, families, and businesses in the fight against COVID-19. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kermit Payne and welcome to HealthWorks. This is one of an, one episode in a podcast series sponsored by the HealthWorks Initiative with Morehouse School of Medicine, Meharry Medical College, and Ashland Management Group. Uh, today, our topic is on a breaking issue, monkeypox. And we have joining us Dr. Christopher Irvin, who is Director of Community-Based Initiatives in the Department of Family Medicine at Morehouse School of Medicine, and Dr. Donald Alcindor, the Associate Professor of Microbiology, Immunology, and Physiology at Meharry Medical College. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Irvin, we know that over the last seven, eight, nine months, um, the consortium, and we talked about that earlier, Morehouse School of Medicine, Meharry Medical College, and Ashton Management Group have been involved at, with addressing vaccine hesitancy around COVID-19. Um, just give us a brief update on, on where we are with that. Um, thank you, Mr. Payne. We're in an interesting place right now um, with COVID-19 and vaccine hesitancy. We sort of have now maybe three distinct groups. There's still that group that does not want to be vaccinated. Um, and so to expand efforts on them has become more and more challenging. However, we do have one group definitely motivated to be vaccinated and continue to seek out vaccinations, make sure they're boosted, uh, still have concerns about protecting themselves. Um, those are the individuals you often see still wearing masks, practicing social distancing. Um, this also tends to be our older population um, in the community. And I actually have a great story. Um, recently had um, our annual high school picnic and I won't, give my exact age, but we are the, um, I'm in the age group eligible for um, continued boosters. And many of those were motivated to get their second booster or asking about when's the next updated booster coming out. Um, and then there's a group that is reachable, um, but, and that's the group that if you present the vaccines to them, if you come out to their communities, they will get vaccinated. And this is even some of those harder to reach communities such as our rural communities, we were, HealthWorks was in a rural community just about an hour and a half outside of Georgia. And surprisingly, we had a good turnout of individuals who either wanted to be vaccinated or have their vaccines updated. And even some of our other high-risk, low vaccination rate communities. And so it speaks to the importance of HealthWorks and those other entities where if you go out to the communities, if you talk to the communities, if you look like the community, want to be vaccinated, they will be vaccinated. Um, another great example is how Dr. Alcindor said that they've been going out to the Hispanic um, Latinx communities. Um, and because they've been going out to them with vaccines in hand, they've been motivated to get vaccinated. So it speaks to 
um, if you go there, they will come, so to speak, or if you build it, they will come. And so I think there are communities that still want to be healthy, kept up to date, um, recognizing there are people still coming down with COVID-19. And so it's important that we look at vaccine hesitancy, not so much as resistance versus reaching out. But what's really interesting is there is a sector of the population that seems more motivated about monkeypox and monkeypox vaccinations than COVID-19. So now it's going to be a real inter interesting discussion. Who wants to be vaccinated by monkeypox versus who wants to be vaccinated for COVID-19 and the relative risk of each? Great. Dr. Evan, thank you for that lead-in. So Dr. Alcindor, I guess you probably know our next question. Uh, we've lived in this viral space for the last two years, and now we're at monkeypox. Tell us how and why we should be concerned about monkeypox. And so the reason why we should be concerned about monkeypox, it goes back to uh, the success that we've had eradicating the smallpox virus from the, from the world globally. And the idea of that success has made us vulnerable to monkeypox. Prior to monkeypox, smallpox was a devastating disease. Just in the 1900s, killed 130 million people. And so we went out on a campaign, a worldwide campaign, to vaccinate against smallpox. We were very successful at it. And the idea is that the vaccine that we used to do that was the anchor restraint of the vaccinium virus and not the smallpox virus. And it turns out the arthropox family of viruses share proteins that allow cross protection. If you vaccinate against one, you're protected against the other. And so vaccinating against smallpox, and again, stopping that by way of eradication. Since 1972, we stopped vaccinating for smallpox in the United States. That's 50 years ago. Now, if you're less than 50 years old, you have no protection from the smallpox vaccination that you got that would give you some level of protection against monkeypox. So this is a product of a virus that has been going under, our, under the radar and now has found a large vulnerable population across the world because of the eradication of smallpox that left us vulnerable to monkeypox. Monkeypox has been increasing in incidents across the world coming out of Central and West Africa and have been penetrating other uh, populations at a very low level. We don't know the extent or significance of that spread uh, globally in terms of total numbers of individuals that are infected. But again, it has come to the Americas in a very special way this time. And so since 2003, we had sporadic cases of monkeypox by travelers of individuals going to Africa, Nigeria, and coming back to the United States. These cases were quickly dealt with by the CDC and the local health authorities. However, in 2003, something special happened. In 2003, there was a large shipment of rodents and other species from Ghana to Texas. These species of rodents were housed in a facility that was near prairie dogs that were meant to be sold as pets in a pet store. People that bought those prairie dogs were infected with smallpox. 
There was 47 of them in six states in the Midwest. And it turns out that the local authorities, again, and the CDC got together and by contact tracing and vaccinations, they were able to contain that particular outbreak in 2003. Now, today, we are presented with something very different. We have never seen the numbers that we have seen in the past. We have gone from 47 to 15,909 as we speak this morning. And so what we are concerned about and should be concerned about is this virus is very tough in terms of ability to transmit. This virus can be transmitted by skin-to-skin -skin contact, particularly with lesions, scabs, fluid from these lesions, or this rash. And the idea is that if you have an abrasion and you come in contact with the rash, the lesions, the scabs, or the fluid, there is an opportunity for a transmission event to occur and you be infected with monkeypox. And of course, this is a virus that somehow will not kill you. However, there is a fatality rate of about 10% in the population that are infected with this particular uh, strain of monkeypox. We are dealing with the West African clad of the monkeypox virus. There is a Congo Basin clad that produces more severe disease, but now we're dealing with the West African clad. Again, there are therapeutics like T-pox to treat this infection, particularly in people, breastfeeding women, people that have immunocompromised conditions, and people where the monkeypox lesions might enter their eyes or certain important parts of their anatomy. And again, this is called T-pox or tecrovirumat is its uh, traditional name. And so what we're seeing is that in vulnerable populations, we could possibly see monkeypox be more severe and lead to death. And when you see death with monkeypox, it's usually in the form of the obstruction of airway by way of uh, lymphoadenopathy. It's also by a development of pneumonia, development of sepsis, and encephalitis associated with monkeypox. These conditions can be life-threatening in those individual populations. We have a very good vaccine for monkeypox that has an 85% efficacy. Again, this is a vaccine, the Genuos vaccine. It has been tested in HIV-infected patients and immunocompromised individuals. It was specifically developed to be used in patients that were immune-compromised compared to the ACAM 2000 vaccine for monkeypox that has more contraindications for that population. Dr. Alcindor, you um, validated one, one point, I think that Dr. Irvin also did, and that is that uh, vaccinations work. Uh, I think that certainly we need to be sure uh, that we remember that. You also talked about vulnerable populations, people under 50 who were not vaccinated for smallpox. Are there other populations, other groups where monkeypox is more prevalent? And, and can you talk some about yes. that? So we look at the cases in the United States as present, uh, about 96 to 98% of those individuals that have a confirmed case of monkeypox include men who have sex with men or men that are having multiple sex partners. And so they are considered a vulnerable population. The CDC has discovered uh, in their data 
that 40% of those individuals that have confirmed cases of monkeypox are HIV positive. Interesting. So I did hear you say that in most instances, you mentioned men. So the rate of infection in women, is that considerably less than in men? So if we move to uh, West Africa, where monkeypox is endemic, you don't find those numbers. You see infections in men and women. But again, women can be infected. And I want to say that this is not meant to stigmatize the queer population here in the United States. The idea is that anyone can get monkeypox if they're exposed to it. That includes children, men, women, elderly individuals, and so forth. Mm -hmm. So you talked about available therapeutics and if, if I could just get you to go back over that uh, sure. again for us. So, so in terms of uh, pre and post exposure prophylaxis, we have a very good vaccine. It's the Genuos vaccine. We have a second vaccine that was more recent and widely available. It is the ACAM 2000 vaccine. Both of these vaccines are part of the national strategic stockpile. The concerns we have is that the vaccine that is available now is not likely to meet the need that we have at present. And the idea is that this vaccine, the Genuos vaccine, is made by one company in Denmark called Boravian Nordic. They have vaccine supplies that are nearly uh, or likely to expire very soon. So the present supply that we're getting from the national strategic stockpile is all that will be available up to 2022. And so I think what we have to do, we have to be vigilant. And so the federal government has responded, the CDC has responded, the FDA has responded to basically take a single dose that would normally be given to an adult and go through a dose sharing or dose sparing procedure. And of course, a new route of entry by way of injection. And that is to take one dose and split it up into five doses, and then not to give the shot subcutaneously, but to deliver the administration of the uh, vaccine by way of an intradermal between the upper layers of the skin injection. And again, studies have been done and papers written to support the idea that an intradermal injection with a smaller amount of the vaccine will provide adequate protection against monkeypox mm -hmm. if exposed. And, and Dr. Alcindor, that intradermal in, uh, injection is just like we got smallpox, just right under the skin. That's and right. So anything new, if you're over 50, not you, Dr. Irvin, we realized when you went to your class reunion, those people were, hadn't gotten to be 50 yet. But can you talk about that? And also, if you could help us um, with children, what, what's with, with yeah. the monkeypox and children? What, what should we know about that? Yes, yeah, so, so it turns out that monkeypox can infect children. There's about five children that we know that have been infected with monkeypox. We know that children that are under eight years old may be at high risk for the more severe complications of monkeypox, and that's a concern. The other concern is that if monkeypox was to get into the pediatric population, in large numbers, because they are constantly interacting with their playmates, and of course, bringing monkeypox to school could have devastating consequences here in the United States. We're still looking at 21 days before you have clinical presentations of signs of monkeypox, and you have another two to four weeks 
before you have a recovery phase when the lesions will heal over new skin and you're not likely to transmit the infection. One good thing about monkeypox that's different than COVID-19 is that COVID-19 can be transmitted prior to the appearance of symptoms. It turns out monkeypox usually will not uh, cause an infection or be transmitted prior to showing lesions or signs of infection. And so that's a good thing. And what it means is that you can step in with a vaccine prior to having acute phase disease and establish post-exposure prophylaxis in those individuals and protect them from the most severe consequences of monkeypox. And Dr. Alcindo, this 21-day incubation period before we see lesions or, right. how would we know in 21 days? How would we know? So, so the idea is that the early symptoms will be the fever, the malaise, the chills, the headache, and the sore throat. Now, if that's starting to come on, right around the time you start to see the fever, you more than likely will see some type of a rash. And I want to say here today that in a person that has darker skin, being able to visualize a rash at clinical presentation can be more involved. You have to look more carefully. And of course, a person uh, will have swollen lymph nodes, okay? And the idea is this is the differentiation between monkeypox as you differentiate it in the clinic from chickenpox. And chickenpox is caused by a herpes virus where monkeypox is caused by a arthropox virus. And so the clinical presentations can be missed completely. And so I think the swollen lymph nodes is the, the differential feature that you see at clinical presentation with monkeypox compared to chickenpox. Dr. Irvin, Dr. Alcindor mentioned um, some of the social implications uh, of monkeypox. And there, you know, we, we don't admit that there are also social implications with being COVID-19 positive. Um, can you address some of the social implications of monkeypox and um, some ways we can look at changing the myth around uh, being exposed to monkeypox? Uh, Mr. Payne, thank you. And that's going to be the key part of getting a handle on monkeypox, we shall say. Uh, unlike COVID-19, which is truly a respiratory transmitted illness, you know, being in close, um, being in proximity of someone basically breathing who's COVID positive will put you at risk um, for COVID-19, where monkeypox, it truly is an intimate contact transmission. And that's the part that we need to emphasize. And I, and I know the difficulty of the public healthcare system. You know, they're trying to communicate something important, but it's a very nuanced um, issue um, with monkeypox. And so how do you um, convey information that's factual without stigmatizing um, the community that's presently at risk um, at the same time, not having other people who could be at risk, you know, ignore ignore such risk and then continue the transmission of monkeypox. So first, I start off with the emphasis on um, intimate contact. Um, that is how you need to think about monkeypox transmission, that it requires 
you know, prolonged skin-to-skin contact. So this is not something you're going to get riding a bus, um, you know, sitting in restaurants, um, any place like that. You really are looking at people who are close, um, close in proximity for prolonged periods of time. So those who are in intimate relationships, uh, as we've been seeing with the same gender loving men, uh, the reason why we're sending kids is probably the same reason. And what um, Dr. Alcindor had mentioned, kids are very communicable. Um, they pretty much invade your personal space. That's, that's what kids do. And so they probably um, <laughs> obtain monkeypox just from being in, around their parents, hugging on their parents, sleeping in their parents' beds who were infected. And that's how, how those five kids got it. And so we need to think about more what are our social networks. Um, as Dr. Alcindor mentioned right now, about 90% of the cases or about 95, 96% of the cases have been among same gender loving men. And when you um, look at how the uh, monkeypox infection has spread from Central Africa through Europe, it's believed that the incident cases that reached the Western countries, so Western Europe and United States, Canada, started at a rave or some large party in Spain or Portugal. And as those individuals traveled back to the social networks in the various countries, such as the United States, they started spreading amongst their social networks. And so we need to just consider who our social networks are, who are we in close proximity to, um, and what are our risks relative to those risks. And it's important that for those who do have multiple intimate partners, um, those who have a tendency to have casual relationships, those um, those are at the greatest risk and want to really have those conversations on you know, any recent illnesses, any rashes, have you noticed any changes in your skin to reduce um, the transmission? Uh, Other things we need to consider is when monkeypox started, the demographics were different. Um, We were thinking it was, um, I think initially primarily white men and Dr. Alcindor, you can confirm for me, but now we're seeing, particularly in the Southern states, the majority of monkeypox transmissions amongst black same gender loving men. Yes. This is where those social networks come in. That social aspect come in. Not only is it, you know, having an understanding of who they're in relationships with, who their partners are, but then this gets into why we have health works, that access to healthcare, that access to vaccinations. This was a very shift in demographics. Yes. um, Mr. Payne. I was going to, to, to ask you, we really appreciate it, as I understand it, uh, at the health work education events and the health works vaccine events, there will be some information for people who are seeking additional information about monkeypox. Yes. Um, and we appreciate that being uh, a comprehensive approach to vaccination, um, yes. which is primary professional health works. So, Dr. Alcindor, I wanted, uh, if you would, what's next? for the monkeypox outbreak yeah. and final words, what should we leave our listening and viewing audience with? Yeah. So what next is to protect those vulnerable populations? We don't know what monkeypox looks like in an elder care facility. We don't know what monkeypox looks like in a person that has an organ transplantation that has iatrogenic immunosuppression. 
We don't know what monkeypox looks like in children in that pediatric population. We don't know if monkeypox will make its way into our rodent population. We have seen the first case evidence of an Italian greyhound being infected by a owner. Again, this was two gay men living with a dog and, and, and you know, had uh, times when they're hugging the dog and so forth. And again, when they looked at the virus that was transmitted from the animal and the virus from the person, those viruses were identical. So the idea is that uh, we are watching the uptick of these infections over time. We are looking at the spillover of this infection into the broader population. We also, when we see a case that's documented by the CDC, this is a medically confirmed case. We don't know what the level of exposure in the population overall looks like. And I think that people are trying to make an effort to start looking at wastewater to see what is the general uh, infection in the, in the population or in neighborhoods that will allow us to mobilize and target those neighborhoods that are likely to come down with monkeypox with vaccination and prevention strategy campaigns. And so I think what we're looking for also is how well will this vaccine, in terms of what we have available, will be able to curtail this infection in those populations at high risk. So we are, we are at a race right now, and the race is simply this. We have populations that are infected. We have targeted them. We have created education and awareness for monkeypox that needs to improve. We also have a commitment from the gay community to start to limit and reduce the number of sexual partners to try and curtail this infection that we see across the country. In the beginning of August 3rd to August 7th, we saw a 43% uptick in the case of monkeypox in the United States. That's not happening right now. And if you look, 36 states have less than 200 cases as we speak this morning. And so what I'm saying is that if we can somehow put this vaccine out there in the arms of people that need it and be able to slow this infection. Every 21 days, we have a recovery cycle where somebody is going to be not able to transmit that infection anymore. If we can put out awareness and people are, will tend to reduce their number of sexual partners to reduce new infections, I think we have a real chance of rallying around this disease and bring this to where it's manageable in time for when new vaccines are available to the general public. But again, if this virus is able to spill over, particularly in children that can facilitate spread in the general population like we have never seen, uh, then this could be problematic for us going forward. So Dr. Christopher Irvin of Morehouse School of Medicine and Dr. Dalian Sundo from Harry Medical College, thank you so very much for an enlightening, enlightening episode of HealthWorks. You can see our podcast at www.healthworks.health. I'm Kermit Payne, and again, thank you for joining us. Remember to be kind, and most of all, to be compassionate. See you again. We would like to thank our special guests for joining us today. 
This HealthWorks podcast series is supported by the United States Department of Health and Human Services and the Health Resources and Services Administration. The contents are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by, HHS, HRSA, or the U.S. government. Don't forget to subscribe to receive notifications about future episodes, and be sure to share this information with your family, friends, and colleagues. Here's to bringing about a great change and improving health. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, and be compassionate. HealthWorks, providing trusted, culturally appropriate information and resources. We aim to strengthen vaccine confidence and prevent outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases where we live, worship, work, and play. Increasing access to vaccine and booster shots for diverse, medically underserved populations. Engaging communities, families, and businesses in the fight against COVID-19.